Thank you for listening to sermon podcasts from the Anglican Church Noosa as we move into week two of our topical series on the air we breathe. This week we look at the value of compassion. The preacher is Chris Johnson. Our readings today are from Isaiah, Luke and Colossians and they all show the wonderful compassion of God and how he calls us to be compassionate as well. So firstly, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 4. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4. And that can be found in your pew Bibles on page 744. So Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Luke chapter 10 verses 35 to 37, can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1040. Luke 10, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. 
And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. And our last reading today is Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17, which can be found in your Pew Bibles on page 1184. Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. May your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Morning, everyone. And uh, welcome as we come now to the second in our series, The Air We Breathe, uh, based on the book by Glenn Scribner. And uh, we're looking at the second value that he addresses, and that's the value of compassion. And I hope you might have picked that up just from the readings. There's um, a lot of evidence in our uh, society of uh, people valuing compassion. Um, I think of things like, say, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, the NDIS. Uh, Now, whatever you may think of its application, and um, there's a lot of debate about that at the moment, I know, uh, I think there is this deep desire in the community uh, to help people who have a disability and to offer them support to help the disadvantaged. We have things in our society like Medicare and free public hospitals. Uh, Many people love giving to the Salvation Army. I've known a number of people over the years who have nothing to do with Christianity, but they love to give to the salvos because they help the poor and disadvantaged. Uh, There are any number of charities in our society supporting many worthy causes, uh, but especially causes that help disadvantaged people. In our own church here, we have what we call Samaritan Care, which is us getting out there in the community and helping people who are in need. It's something that's valued in, uh, in the community. It's valued within the church. Now, it's easy for us all to just take this for granted, to think, well, it's self-evident that you would look after the disadvantage. It's the right thing to do, isn't it? However, that's not the way most societies have thought uh, down through the years and over the centuries. And it's not necessarily an accepted value in all the countries of our world today. In fact, there's many uh, that that isn't the value at all. I want to uh, give you a few quotes from the ancient world. Plato. He said that 
for children to be worth rearing, they must be malleable, disposed to virtue and physically fit. Otherwise, parents should properly dispose of them in secret so that no one will know what has become of them. You might have thought of that a few times when you were rearing children. (laughs) But it's not a value we would espouse today, is it? What about Aristotle? He said this. He thought defective children should be exposed. And he said, as to exposing or rearing the children born... Let there be a law that no deformed child shall be reared. Scribner makes the claim that down through history, the vast majority of cultures have considered that we're actually better off disposing of the weak. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, the famous German philosopher at the end of the 19th century, he said this, Pity, on the whole, thwarts the law of evolution, which is the law of selection. Nitschke looked at nature and he saw what he does and he saw that it selects the strong over the weak. And so he painted a picture of humanity progressing if it followed the law of nature. In other words, if we got rid of the weak and the inferior and allowed the strongest and the fittest to thrive and they could go forward without this burden on them and humanity could reach its full potential. The Nazi regime took up that philosophy, didn't it? And Heinrich Himmler said said this, he said, there's nothing particular about man, he's but a part of this world. And of course, Himmler was the chief architect of the Holocaust. If you take God out of the picture, if you just follow down that atheistic line, if you only have, then you only have the natural world to guide you. Uh, And you really don't have any basis for compassion. Don't get me wrong, there are many atheists who are very compassionate. But I would suggest that that is mostly due to a hangover from Christendom rather than something that arises naturally out of an atheistic worldview. You see, if there's no creator, if this material world uh, is all we have, which has just happened by chance and continues on through evolutionary natural selection, then I would suggest that there's actually no fundamental reason for compassion. This is a little poem from Steve Turner. He says, uh, If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear state of emergency, sniper kills ten, troops on the rampage, whites go looting, bomb blast school, it is about the sound of man worshipping his maker. I think it brings that point home really well. So where does compassion come from? In our Western society, it comes from the scriptures. It begins with the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. You see, Israel was the smallest and the weakest of nations. Uh, And again, 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 the scriptures make it clear that God raised up this nation to show how he uses the weak and the despised to shame the powerful and the arrogant which were the nations round about. Of course, it cut both ways because at the times when Israel became proud and arrogant and didn't look after their weaker members, guess what? Judgment came on them as well. It was God judging pride and arrogance wherever it showed itself. 
The value system in Israel's law made a special place for the poor, which was different from the nations round about. Israel had special provision for the orphan and the widow, for the foreigner living in the land. There was concern for those who had little, where the other nations wanted to just leave them behind. Israel also looked at its leaders differently. God was the ruler of the nation and they were called to worship him alone. Israel's leaders were called to represent God to the people, but they would never be treated as deity or worshipped as such, like the other nations around about. Israel was honest about their leaders and their faults and failings. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. King Solomon had many wives and he made many unwise decisions towards the end of his life, which caused uh, great heartache for the nation. Scribner uh, says this, Other armies would boast in their battles. Israel was a minow whose greatest victories were won with slingshots, trumpets and tent pegs. Other kingdoms would sing of their greatness. Israel's songs were full of their faults. So given the smallness and the failings of this nation, how did they ever survive? Well, God was with them. And God was honouring his promises to Abraham to bless them and through them to bless the rest of the world. And part of this blessing was to show the world this different value system. This care for the weak and the value of compassion. Let me quote from Scribner again. He says, From the 8th century BC to the 1st, the Israelites were swallowed up and spat out by superpower after superpower. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, the Greeks and then the Romans. Yet they never lost the sense that they were God's chosen agents of redemption and hope. And from the prophets, uh, they came to believe that this redemption and hope would come through one special, one special anointed leader, who's the Messiah. And one of the prophets to bring this prophecy uh, was Isaiah, who we heard read this morning. And what was his description of the Messiah? Well, this is what we've just read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, Isaiah 61. And who is it who reads that passage in the synagogue in Nazareth in the first century? It is Jesus, isn't it? Jesus uh, claims to be the Messiah. At the end of that reading, uh, this is what Luke tells us, he tells us, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Scrivener describes this as stratospherically lofty. <laughs> In other words, it takes off into the stratosphere to make such a claim. And not just about Isaiah, but of all those prophets over hundreds of years prophesying about a Messiah. And one man stands up on one day in the synagogue and says, I am he. It's the sort of claim that if someone made today, we would think they were another. nutter. 
wouldn't we? And some people say that about Jesus, except until you read the Gospels and see the sacrificial life he lived, the sublime teaching he gave, the 12 disparate lives that he brought together to be his A-team, which he shaped in only three years to be a missionary force that went out and changed the world. Not only his life and teaching, but the fact that he put it into practice, showing that greatness comes through service and sacrifice. He descended into greatness all the way to the cross. You can write Jesus off as a nutter or you can call him Lord. There's only two alternatives in the New Testament. (laughs) Write him off or bow and worship. He is Lord. Think for a moment of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is this the teaching of a nutter? Plato and Aristotle would have said so. But if you look at the Jesus revolution down through history, there's a resounding no. The parable of the Good Samaritan has been foundational in Western thinking over many centuries. Uh, Jeffrey Robertson is a well-known international lawyer and champion of human rights. Uh, You might remember a TV show he did many years ago called Hypotheticals. Uh, It was very popular at the time, but he's mainly known for helping people who are persecuted uh, in very tough situations all around the world and representing them uh, in terms of international law. And I remember an interview done with him once, which uh, he was asked, uh, what are the foundations for human rights? And he mentioned three things. I can only remember one of them because... One of the things he said, it, it is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I'm pretty sure he's not a Christian. This was a secular interview in a secular context. And yet he quoted the parable of the Good Samaritan. This teaching of Jesus, you see, has made a deep impact in our society, whether people believe Jesus is the Messiah or not. Of course, The secular world only wants to draw the ethical application from the story, don't they? And we know it means much, so much more. But I think at least we should be grateful for the difference that ethical application has made uh, in our Western world. I want to look at it briefly, though. Uh, What is the ethical application? Well, it's love your neighbour, isn't it? Love your neighbour, even if they're your enemy, even if they're different from you even if they believe different things, have a different value system, and especially if they're from a different race. It doesn't mean you have to agree with their value system, and especially if they have a different understanding of God and a whole different ethical system. But loving your neighbour will involve a basic respect that treats them as a person made in the image of God uh, and then worthy of respect. Uh, A person in the image of God who has therefore the potential uh, of a relationship with God. And it's seeking to love them into that relationship. The secular world, of course, doesn't want to go down that track, the God track. For them, it's just love your neighbour. But what is the real meaning of the parable? What's the deeper meaning? Well, it's about loving God supremely. And doing that by not putting any limits on how you love your neighbour. It's loving God supremely. Look at the question which prompts the parable. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's about our relationship with God, isn't it? And what's the correct answer? Well, the lawyer gives the correct answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The Samaritan is uh, this parable. Oh, sorry. Let's get through to. There it is. The, the answer that the uh, lawyer gives. And then the parable of the Good Samaritan is simply a teaching tool to help this lawyer understand what it really means to have this relationship with God, this relationship which is eternal life. It's a relationship where you love God and love neighbor unreservedly. Of course, the secular world wants to forget about the relationship with God. And we need to keep pointing people back to that. But equally, we who believe in God, who have that relationship with God, we don't want to forget what it means to love our enemies. Uh, Jesus teaching that indirectly in this parable and elsewhere very directly in the Sermon on the Mount uh, to love those who are different. The New Testament continually relates the relationship you have with God with the relationship you have with your neighbour. Look at that passage from Colossians. Chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That's about relationship with God. You are chosen, holy and dearly loved. Your relationship with God. Therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And that's your relationship with your neighbour. And then... Look at verse 13. It says, Forgive one another. If anyone has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Remember the talk last week that John gave us from Teen Missions? Uh, It was a lovely talk about that parable where, uh, you know, the servant is forgiven this huge debt by his master, but then he goes out to his servant who only owes him a little bit and uh, demands that it be paid immediately. And the message is, of course, that if Christ has forgiven you such a huge debt, then who are you not to forgive others who have sinned against you? And so Paul says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Can you see how love for God, knowing his forgiveness, uh, and love for neighbour work together? Uh, there's a little motto I uh, often say to myself and try and implement, and that is, you can't be to God what you won't be to another person. You can't be to God what you won't be to another person, and especially the person who's difficult, the person who's hard to love, the person who's different. I can't be to God what I won't be to that person, even uh, your enemy. We are called uh, to love. So, uh, my friends, let's sum this up and with a little bit of application as well. The history of the world has not always been one that values compassion. Yes, people want to show compassion to their friends, to those who are worthy, but the idea of loving your enemies, showing compassion to them, absolutely a weird idea until Jesus came along. The idea of looking out for the weak and the disadvantaged. An absolutely weird idea until Jesus came along.
And my friends, in the world today, there are many societies and countries who still think those are weird ideas. And they are waiting to hear the good news of the Jesus revolution, the good news of the gospel. We have a mission to take it to them. But it's not just other countries out there. In our own country, there is so much need to renew this. Uh, There's happening in our land what I would call an increasing tribalism. And that is people stick within their own tribe and throw insults and uh, sorry throw insults at the enemy in the other tribe and so now the mantra is love your friends and hate your enemies that seems to be what a lot of people are now living by there's what is called cancel culture and so this is where one tribe tries to shut down another tribe with insults and abuse and it's not just the Christian tribe and other tribes. It's all these other tribes that are fighting with one another as well. Uh, And the level of abuse increases. We as Christians have a unique gift to bring to this problem because love for enemy means we bring a reasoned, loving, passionate persuasion to the way we approach differences. Not just our arguments, but the manner in which we present them is very important. And our approach must have the mark of Christ upon it. So my friends, uh, many nations out there who are experiencing oppression and need to hear the good news of compassion that comes through Christ and faith in him. But also in our own society, we need to hear afresh the good news of Jesus' revolutionary teaching on compassion. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. Thank you for listening.